Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Welcome, you're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita, and we are joined live via satellite by our friend Peter Segel. I feel more like Benjen today because I feel like I show up in an extremely unlikely way just when I'm needed. And then vanish. And then vanish. <laughs> yes. No, I, I want everybody to know I am on the coast of Oregon. 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 There you go. I'm told I yeah. say it wrong whenever I say it, but I can never remember how I'm saying it wrong, just that I'm saying it yeah, wrong. Yeah, that's tough, man. Which is sort of a metaphor for my whole life, which is I know <laughs> vaguely that I'm incorrect, but I'm never quite sure how. Anyway. It's like he just sang himself a little patriarchy jingle. <laughs> I know. I'm in Aria, and I'm on the coast in a place called Bandon, which looks a lot like Dragonstone, so I'm very much in the mood to talk about yet another. <laughs> I'm going to say... Mostly unsatisfying mm. episode of our favorite TV show. Although, a spoiler warning, although I have a lot of quibbles, I thought they did one thing tremendously well. So, we'll get to that. Yay. All right, well, before we get too far down the road, we have some breaking news about Harry Strickland Partners. That's, if you remember, the consulting firm that's been producing our Thronesitions on the show. The audio segues from location to location. Peter, did you hear... About the breaking news? No, you're I've on been, vacation. I've, Maybe I've not. Been, I've, I've been traveling the narrow sea to Dragonstone, so I have no idea. Let me know what's going on here. <laughs> well, Harry Strickland himself, the founder, is facing federal charges related oh, to some shady business deals. Yeah, he also lost his last two employees, Jen and Colin. Peter, you remember them. They were the jazz vocalists who did the transitions last week. Well, it turns out they got a major label deal, and their debut is coming out on Sony this week. Well, that's exciting for them. But what happens to our transitions then? Well, uh, the company's falling apart, and it looks like, actually, if we wanted to, Justin is letting us know that we could go live to Harry Strickland's press conference. Yeah, let's bring that up. Never, and I mean never, has greater misfortune befallen such a dedicated small businessman. It, it's fucked. It is all fucked. It is entirely fucked. Okay, yeah, this we should maybe cut, cut that off. That's live. Oh, boy. Okay. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, that is the Chicago way. <laughs> So, listeners, what this means is we have no Thronesitions this week. Some of you will be sad about that, and some of you will be very happy. I am sad, I just want to say. <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had come to love them in a kind of weird musical Stockholm Syndrome kind of way. <laughs> I, I was stuck in here with them. Yeah. I, came, I came to feel like we were all in this together. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm in the camp of I think I'll be okay without them. Also, mm-hmm. not so many locations this week, so you yeah, know. that's true. Well, we could have had two, but then they could have gone back and forth, which could have gotten what's the word tedious. This also reminds me we have a listener survey. So if you are listening to this right now, we would love for you to fill out the survey. It's on our website, on Twitter and Facebook. It will take you less than three minutes, or fewer than three minutes, excuse me. And if you'd like to comment on our relationship with the consulting firm Harry Strickland Partners, please do. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into rehashing Season 7, Episode 6 of Game of Thrones. It was called Beyond the Wall. Ooh. Oh, that was nice. (laughs) You know what's funny about that is every time they switch to up north... In the show, if you're watching it with closed captions, it says, Howling Wind. (laughs) So your sound effect is actually very appropriate. I actually watched it for the first time with closed captions because the sound off my computer was not very good. And uh, it's it's very distracting. It really is. It really is. It's also weird because the closed captioning comes on an instant before the line is said, Mm -hmm. which you would imagine is appropriate for those who need closed captions in order to understand what's going on. But it's weird because... I know this is crazy, but when the screen knows what's going to be said before the actors say it, I'm like, oh my God, this was all written out beforehand. This isn't live. (laughs) Wait a minute. They're not making that up. It ruins the illusion. It really does. (laughs) Turns out, I I hate to break it to you guys, this whole thing was fictional the whole time. (laughs) Dag What? Anyway, so where do we start? We started Beyond the Wall. And Tormund talks about how Winterfell is south, 
and he convinces, or well, he maybe doesn't, con- well, I guess you could say he convinces John to bend the knee. They have a little chat about how Mance Raider refused, and it was out of pride. And he didn't point out something that perhaps he could have pointed out in his, uh, uh, turns out, rather effective argument, which is like, I bent the knee to you. Yeah, that's true. You know, and I spent my life hating and fighting and killing you, and yet I decided in the end it would be better to simply accept your leadership, so why can't you do the same? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. We also have John and Jorah bonding over swords. There were just a lot of nice bro bonding moments. Up there north. were there were so many callbacks yeah. and references to things we knew, things we had seen. All right, everybody who's been resurrected, you have a conversation. Right. right. Everybody who knew Gior Mormont, you have a conversation. Okay. Everybody who you know, everybody who was at the Battle of Pike, you have a conversation. But Even only though if we you don't... were drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if this was a long-running sitcom, this would be the episode where the whole episode would just be the walk to the White Walkers, and then each of those conversations we're talking about would have spurred a flashback clip because it would have oh, been a clip yeah. show. Oh, that would have been really cute. That's what it would have been. It was. It would have been almost like the, the uh, penultimate episode of, uh, no, the ultimate episode of Seinfeld, which was all about them remembering things that had happened to them in yeah. the prior seven years. It was like that. I am now, even though, as you know, I, I, despite my teasing, I genuinely admire the intelligence of both you women. I'm now going to ask you a question that I know you cannot answer, that is beyond your ability to answer. You ready? Despite the named characters we were just discussing, how many other people were in that group? An indeterminate number of red shirts. So I actually kept counting. I was obsessing over this. In the first scene, there were only 10. Later on, there were 12. And then it went back to 10. And then obviously... It really? So there. so you're, you're talking about like the establishing shots of showing these guys wandering in scenic places in yeah, Iceland. Yeah, just like dudes walking through the snow. Yeah, in that first scene, there were 10. And every time that would happen, you'd, you'd freeze it and you'd count the guys. No, I wouldn't even have to... You can just, you know, they're walking. You can just be like, oh yeah, there's 10. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like I'm counting whites. So like it was pretty easy to... Right. So there were like a bunch of guys and there were 10 guys and then mm-hmm. later there were 12 guys which is weird because as time went on, we lost right. more and more of the... I mean, it seemed weird to me on a show that has specialized in killing off people you knew. It's even on an earlier occasion, I can remember, I guess it was last season, that those group of, of I guess, uh, murderers from the Brotherhood Without Banners who uh, had just killed that religious group and Sandra Clegane was mad. Before Sandra Clegane came up and killed all of them, you had a little moment in which they chatted about things. And as Tricia pointed out, one sexually assaulted the other. But you get to know them, and then they died. And it seems weird in a show that's established that we're going to show you who these people are before they die. You never see them till they're being killed. You never even see their faces. It just, there was this general sense that like the extras were carrying spears. So if you saw a guy with a spear, you know he oh, was. Oh yeah, there you go. You knew he was a completely disposable wildling, a red shirt, a red fur. A wild shirt. <laughs> yeah, the internet is is not in consensus yet about whether to call them wild shirts or fur shirts or red furs. Fur shirts, I like that. Yeah, and, and if you were one of the, I mean, I know this is the classic red shirt joke, you know, going all the way back to Galaxy Quest or further. But if you're wandering around, if you're walking around and you're saying to yourself, "I'm a wildling," here I am with these guys. They're all talking to each other. They all know each other. <laughs> They're all having chats. I'm just standing here holding a spear. This does not look good for me. Yeah. Nope. No. Anyway. I think now might be a good time to bring up also how great the conversation around the word whinging is, which I just don't think oh, we yes. use enough in American vernacular and is especially appropriate given Peter's overall sentiments around these last <laughs> couple of episodes, yes. I think. It, it is true that if, if, if they had said it in the American way, you, people are all whining. You're all whining. You're whining and whining. It would have sounded childish and funny, but the word whinging does in fact. It's just so yeah. good, which I didn't really yeah. know how to spell it, which is why I was glad to have the closed captioning. And it still looks wrong to me because it's just winging with an H. Right. But for some whinging. reason, it's whinging. But you, it's just so you can't say winging. You're winging it. You're whinging. It is no, a great yeah. word. Yeah, it's, yeah, well, it's although, exceptional. Although it reminded me of one of the great moments in uh, the movie Pri- Saving Private Ryan where they talk about griping. And how mm-hmm. griping works. You gripe up. You don't gripe down. We gripe up. He gripes up. He gripes, you know. And I thought that was, that was sort of, I thought that was evocative. But it was, it was a great conversation. In fact, I have no complaints about all of the dialogue in the show. It was funny and it was smart and it referred to things that we care about. Except for the fact that it was so obviously really clever dialogue. Aimed as much as pleasing the viewers as it was for advancing any 
what's the word, agenda that the characters might have. I was even okay with that. I found it pleasant enough that I cackled with glee several times throughout this episode. Though more earlier yeah. on, it got, it got weird, obviously. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it did get strange. But there was a lot, I mean, and this is, this is a phrase that a friend of mine has used for this whole season. There was a lot of fan servicing. Yeah. Like This whole season? Yes. In fact, I, I found out, I just found out this morning when I was going over some, uh, some other recaps, as I often do, that the big change at the end with the dragon, I guess it's a spoiler, but it's not anymore, we've all watched the episode, mm-hmm. even that was predicted by fans. I didn't know that. I thought that was a clever and original idea, the, the, the resurrected dragon, but apparently people have been predicting that. So, you know, there's this conversation going on between the fans and the show, and the show and the fans, and on one level it's fun. On another level, it's not exactly why I watch this TV show, but I've said that before. Well, but you watch it because you love things like Lost and Polar Bears, and so we're going to have our own (laughs) quest to defeat a polar bear. We joked that is this show just gone really round the bend and become lost, and then this week there was a polar bear, and I was like, oh no, we have. We've (laughs) gone to the place where we now fight polar bears. I, I guess this is surprising given my predilections, but I never watched Lost. That's not surprising. I mean, that's like a very efficient use of your time. So this is the first time I think we have some of the characters seeing what we know about, which is that Thoros has an awesome flaming sword. Yes. So they bust out their flaming sword. Yeah, we've seen it before, but I'm pretty sure that John and others were like, oh, snap. Yeah, oh, flaming sword, that's cool. And they seem to be able to turn it on at will. Yeah, that's the part that made me wonder, because in the way that it's described, it's that when he goes into Pike to do it, he actually coats it with wildfire. And yes, so it's, it's wildfire, which first of all means it should be green, not orange flame. But also, uh, like, he would have to do something for that to happen. But this makes it seem sort of like now he's just sort of, like, reached... It's like D&D. Like, he used to have to do something to be able to do this spell, but now because he's a higher-level red yes, priest, he, he just has that on as a cantrip. Like, that's just on demand for him. He doesn't have to have wildfire he, anymore, I guess. He's leveled up. There are a number of things in this show, ranging from how does Thoros... Uh, you know, get his sword to flame or whatever he needs it to how does Gendry get back to (laughs) uh, the wall so quickly that would be and probably were answered in the writer's room by somebody looking across the table probably the person looking and speaking was higher paid than the person who was being spoken to and the higher paid person said it just does, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. How does he get his sword to go? It just does. (laughs) How come there happens to be this this rock in the middle of this lake that oh, the God. good guys can run over without falling in, but the zombies can't? It just does. It was fun to watch during the zombie bear fight and realize that a lot of the weapons that they seemed to be carrying were, in fact, obsidian. Mm. So Jorah had that dagger, and some other people had things, and it was like, oh, good, good. They are actually about as prepared as they're going to be for this really right. dumb quest they're on. Yeah, yes, I was exactly. worried about that. I also feel like it still wasn't that easy. Like, I was hoping the obsidian would make things a little a little easier on them, but it's still pretty right. brutal. Yeah, the only person I noticed using the obsidian was uh, Jorah. And it seemed to be working okay. He seemed to be stabbing these guys, and they tended to be falling down. So I guess that was successful insofar as it went. So we get Thoros cauterized and up and moving again because, I don't know. I'm not sure why he didn't just die then. That's one of my beefs with this episode is that there should have been more death. And I think Thoros will eventually die. He will eventually freeze to death, right? But why he needed to stay alive to then just freeze to death a few minutes in the narrative later, I'm really not sure. Well, wasn't it between those things that he did have that talk with John about? No, about the Lord of Light, no. and, or no? Because no, guess that, that was, was Beric, uh, that not was Thoros, Beric. and yeah, it was before right. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I had the same thought, uh, Tricia, which is like, if you're going to kill Thoros, which is a fine thing to do, I have no problem with that. Why not just do it? <laughs> and, and they even went through the thing where, which is almost a classic like action movie thing, where the here where the dying or the wounded person's friend cauterizes his wound in a rather painful way. This is going to hurt, and then they make they say something wry about it. They even went through that sort of dumb show, and then he still died. And the only thing I could think of was that they were trying to show how cold it was. Can I tell you my problem with that argument? I mean, it, I, it's fine, but the thing about the the White Walkers falling into that lake is just so unrealistic. If it's that cold, the frickin' lake is frozen over. Trust the Alaskan. Yeah, man, yes. like, I used to drive over frozen rivers with my car. Yeah, but we should wait because we're not there yet. 
Yo, yes. And we will be in just a couple minutes. We'll be right back. My name is Harry Strickland. Is this on? Is that on? Okay. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right, more will happen beyond the wall, of course, and some bits and pieces in Dragonstone. But let's just get the Winterfell stuff out of the way because (laughs) it was all interspersed in this episode but really what we have is Arya and Sansa being peak Arya and Sansa in all the most frustrating ways, I think. Yeah. Right. Well, I would even say being being Arya and Sansa in ways that are in no way the reasons we like, admire, watch, or interested mm-hmm. in Arya and Sansa. So I would, I would argue with your term peak, but then again, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here, let's just listen actually to, I think, sort of the core of this scene between the two of them. Littlefinger did well. I wanted to give them more credit, but he was right. This tore them apart. And what did you do? Did you come running to the rescue? Did you fight off the Lannisters and save father? I wanted to. But you didn't, just like me. I didn't betray him. I didn't betray Rob. I didn't betray our entire family for my beloved Joffrey. You should be on your knees thanking me. We're standing in Winterfell again because of me. You didn't win it back. John didn't win it back. He lost the Battle of the Bastards. The Knights of the Vale won the battle and they rode north for me while you were off where? Travelling the world? I was training. Training. Well, while you were training, I suffered things you could never imagine. Oh, I don't know about that. I can imagine quite a lot. You never would have survived what I survived. I guess we'll never know. Uh. Uh. The only thing I liked about that was Arya stealing Han Solo's line from Star Wars, but you know, <laughs> other than that, it was pretty much dreary. Um, what is what is going on? And whatever is going on, why couldn't it have happened already? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 there were—I don't know—I didn't count them, but there must have been four different interludes in Winterfell, cutting back to it from the more consistent going is on over the wall or beyond the wall. And every time I'm like, okay, so they're arguing. Uh, Sansa finds the bag of faces, which <laughs> it's like, oh, she carries them in a little valise. So nice. I thought that's where she kept her homework. Um, but it didn't seem to accomplish anything. You don't know, are they actually now opposed? Um, there was that moment where it, they seemed to indicate that maybe Arya was going to kill Sansa, maybe by holding the dagger that way, but she didn't. So where are we at the end of the episode that we weren't at the beginning? We, we know they're arguing, we know they're upset with each other, we know they distrust each other, but that was pretty much true at the end of the last episode. But what Littlefinger seems to have done successfully is in part, create chaos, right? We forget that Littlefinger's plan is often chaos, which isn't really a plan so much as a life uh, approach. You know, he doesn't know exactly how it's going to play out, but he knows it's going to cause turmoil. And what he did is he convinced Sansa to send Brienne away. Yeah, I think that's the main development. Why did Sansa do that? It was the dumbest. Yeah, Yeah, it's no good. So what... And I was trying to follow this, and I'm not saying that I'm I'm smarter than the showmakers. I'm saying I'm dumb. I don't understand this. Littlefinger says to Sansa, "Well, it's good that Brienne is here because Brienne, of course, was sworn to protect both of you to your mother now dead, and thus she will be good for preventing any strife between you, making sure that neither of you hurt each other." That was the, seemed to be the point of his dialogue. I mean, I think it was a little more specifically, she will keep Arya from hurting you. No. You think that? I think the well, opposite. No. Because what Sansa did was get rid of Brienne so that she could potentially have someone kill Arya. You think so? Right. Yes. Well, it doesn't make any sense, Greta, if what you say is what he meant and what she understood. Then why would you then send she gets Brienne, rid of Brienne away? That's true, oh, yeah. If she was saying, well, Brienne will protect you from Arya, don't you worry. And then the whole point of the scene with Brienne and Sansa is, um, is I am making you leave no matter what you are, I'm getting the whole point of this conversation is to get you out of here. 
the whole sort of conference in King's Landing, whatever that is, was an excuse, right? So Sansa conference goes conference in King's Landing. It's the conference in King's Landing. Oh, you know, it's a it's, it's, a, it's a business trip. It's it's common. It is in very many ways. The cosplay will be really authentic. <laughs> I also want to comment on what must be on the, if there's like a somewhere on some film loving site, some film lovers, you know, dot com, the top ten cliched shots of all time. Somewhere in the top ten is the person dismissing somebody by looking down at their paperwork, <laughs> which is what's right. Sansa's got that big book. She's like, there you all. That's all. That's all. I, 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 you better get going to King's Landing. Look down at paperwork, turning pages. What? <laughs> What is it? What is she looking at in the big... She does a lot of reading. That's funny because wasn't it last week with Arya where she said, I have a lot of work to do. And that was like the end of their conversation last week. Exactly. She's just very important, Sansa. She is. She's very important. She has lots of pages to turn. Mm -hmm. She's Mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, Brienne, you need to leave because I've been turning the pages in this enormous book one by one and I have to get to the end so I can move on to the next book and turn those pages. I did think there was an interesting moment between Arya and Sansa earlier on in the episode when they're talking and it becomes very clear that Arya has been doing everything. She has made all the choices she has out of anger and Sansa has made all the choices she has out of fear. And I think just in terms of I think for the most part, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think especially when it comes to like writing the letter to support Joffrey and, you know, I think, yeah, it's been self-preservation, right? As opposed to fury. And I think that was just a really interesting characterization to see kind of writ large and to think about moving forward also when it comes to those two, because they are just very different, right? And I think that really solidified that. Although although not as different as I think you just said, because remember that certainly as... Sansa herself says, I was a little girl at the time. I've changed a lot. She has. I mean, one thing that Arya and uh, Sansa have in common is they've both killed people they've hated in cold blood in rather vicious ways. Both of them have done that. Arya has done it more, but Sansa (laughs) has done it, right? I mean, Sansa feeding poor old Ramsay to the dogs is at least as vicious as anything Arya has done. So, Trisha, you said that Littlefinger was an agent of chaos, and he just creates chaos for its own sake, which I guess is arguably true because of his famous phrase, chaos is a ladder. But that's not really what Littlefinger does or has ever done. He seems to put plots in motion knowing exactly what he wants from them. I think he knows that he's going to create strife between people, but I don't think he knows exactly how it's going to play out, right? I think having uh, somebody try to kill Bran, if it was him in season one, he knows that it's going to pit the Starks and the Lannisters against each other, but he doesn't know exactly how that's going to play out after that. He just knows it's going to cause trouble. Well, I'm just saying that if he doesn't have a plan as to who he wants uh, in, you know, to, to win this battle of the sisters, if you will, and what he will get out of that person winning that battle, then he's not being very little finger-like, is all I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I can't anticipate what that is. The only thing I can think of is he's trying to regain Sansa's trust because Sansa doesn't, has never trusted him for good reason. And she seems to be talking to him a lot, and there was at least one scene where she was seeking his advice and counsel. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's his whole plan, to get back in her good graces. Yeah. To do what, then I don't know. Maybe to marry her. <laughs> yeah, I think he wants her to feel alone and backed into a corner, because when she does, she does turn to him. Right. 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 And But it just, I mean, it strikes me as strange as to... Again, we all go back to the just beginning question. What is the problem of Arya and Sansa, from Littlefinger's perspective, what's wrong with Arya and Sansa being tight? Is it that whole, you know, ovaries before broveries thing that he needs to isolate her from any other allies so that he can be her ally? Yeah, I think so. Also, again, just for the record, there's an all-knowing brother, like, one room over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we didn't who we've see completely anybody. forgotten about, right? Yeah. He's like, like, oh yeah, there's this psychic person who can warg into animals and he could be flying around or having his little animal avatars fly around and providing us real-time intel. Forget about him. Let's, let's search her room instead. Uh, nope. Yep. Did you recognize any of the faces, by the way? Somebody says that one of them looked an awful lot like Walter Frey. I think that's reasonable, but also they seem sort of... Uh, just like rubber masks enough yeah, that it was a little hard ridiculous. to tell. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they they struck me as rather uh, sanitary, considering they had been removed from actual people. But mm, you that's know, true. That's a very good yeah. point, Peter. Yeah, the faceless god has his own ways, and maybe he's he doesn't like ickiness. Yeah. Again, you know the the fire on the sword just happens. The faces just work like Mission Impossible Two. Yeah. Don't just, ask questions. Yes. Don't don't worry about yes. it. Yes. It it just does. <laughs> it I just said. does. <laughs> so uh, Dragonstone, and then Dragon Zombie. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Are we happy to be done? I'm very happy to be done talking about Winterfell. Every time they cut back there during this episode, I was like, oh. Yeah, I kind of feel like, honestly, they're the least of our concerns at this point, given yes. what else happened in this episode. I guess my one question is, why was Sansa being called to King's Landing? Was it for the summit to look at the zombie that we all know about? Or was it some other mm. trick? Because John is the king in the north. John's going to be there for that meeting. Yeah, that Why is Why would Sansa actually. be called to it? So, like, that was the one thing that felt like Brienne was just sent into some sort of Cersei trap. Right. But I guess we'll find out. But also, I guess we'll see Brienne and Jamie together again, which will be, yeah. again, fan service more than True. narrative sense. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's where we're going. But, yeah, it makes no sense that Sansa would leave the North to go do something that is to be convinced about the White Walkers, which... John is in charge, and he already believes in them, and she is, ostensibly does too. So that makes no sense. Yeah, that is a weird invitation for a lot. We of we don't know where that invitation came from, right? The right. only supposition is that it came somehow out of uh, Jamie's meeting with Tyrion last episode, and then Jamie's subsequent conversations about it with Cersei, which we only partially privy to. And so presumably they've got some sort of plan that we don't know about. But but I, it, it can't be the meeting about it can't be the meeting about looking at the white because they don't know they have the white yet, right? Right. All right. So Tyrion wants to know what Danny's plans are since she can't have babies, and Danny doesn't want to talk about it. Well, and Danny talks pretty good shit about heroes and says that Jon Snow is too small for her in front of the which half man, which is rude, <laughs> which is super rude. Also, have there been like an incredible number of jokes about? Kit Harrington's height. Yeah. They're now just making fun of Kit's height as opposed to Jon Snow's height. It's just very confusing. Right. I, I I cannot remember in these in the, I guess the six prior seasons of this TV show anybody making a joke about how short Jon Snow is. And then this season it's nothing but short Jon Snow jokes. Also Daenerys isn't Brienne. Why is right. that a problem for her in general or in this specific instance? Well, we also remember, if you really want to talk about it, Danny's taste in men tends to be larger ones. Right. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of a really wonderful picture of, yes, of Jon Snow next thing. to Khal Drogo. <laughs> Jon's got his glasses on. Well, Kit has his glasses on, and he's looking really freaked out. And it's like this meme with the caption, like, when you meet her ex. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. really good. <laughs> I'm going to say a sentence. I'm going to say... The sentence, can Tyrion be even dumber? And I sure that sentence seems to have been said in the writer's room because every episode he just does things that are, seem to be designed to make uh, Daenerys trust him less. Like, why is he talking about the succession of the throne? She says, we'll talk about that when I've got it. What? Why is he bringing that up? I think based on the two examples he gives, he's trying to push her towards the idea of some sort of democracy-esque way of ruling and governing, which again would mean, you know, because he mentions the king's moot and he mentions the election of the commander of the Night's Watch. Right. So the two examples he gives are if you want to be a ruler and also you're not going to have progeny to rule, then you need to set up what is basically some form of democracy. And I think his argument is then that, like, you got to stop burning people alive if you are right. actually trying to lead a democracy. Yeah. The other thing he said, of course, was he, he, he remonstrates with her about burning the bad dad Tarly and, and, and Dickish um, <laughs> together. And and he can't let that go, even though he tried to prevent her. And so it does seem as if the only thing I can think of is they're setting up Tyrion to rebel in a weird way against Danny to somehow realize that Danny is just another bloodthirsty tyrant. And that he's like, I don't know. The Alexander Hamilton, dare I say, of Westeros, who's oh. trying to like set up a democracy, or maybe the Tom Paine, I don't know, but maybe in the end there's going to be a breach between them, because certainly everything that's happened this season between Tyrion and Danny seems designed to destroy the trust uh, or bonds of affection between them, because all of Tyrion's ideas are terrible and lead to disaster, 
and Danny seems to know that. Um, so it does seem that's where they're headed. It's hard to it's hard to imagine them hugging it out, if you will, uh, after all all the things that's gone wrong. Yeah, it was an interesting scene because when it started with drinks and chats and feels by the fire, I was like, oh, maybe they'll finally, you know, end up on the same page. But it could that couldn't be farther from the actual outcome no. of that scene. Oh, I did like, I really did enjoy the very first shot of the episode, which was a pretty much seamless transition from the 3D um, map of Westeros of the mm-hmm. credits to the stone map in the map room at Dragonstone. Little golf clap for that, guys. <laughs> And so then if we zoom back north beyond the wall, yes. zoom. we <laughs> have... Exactly. And by the way, in the, the, the time it took Trisha to make that transition, it's exactly the most time it takes to fly a dragon from there uh. to beyond the wall. <laughs> you can do it instantly. Yep, it's really fast. It, it goes just perfectly when you have Gendry run real fast all the way to the wall, and then you have a raven apparate to Dragonstone. Yes. Apparently. Right. And then... Yes. Uh, you get to change into your, let's be real, very badass, like, Snow Queen mm. outfit. Oh, yeah. I was super oh. disappointed by that coat. What? It would not be what? warm enough. It was not This is Greta's problem reasonable. with this episode. It's that the coat didn't look warm enough. <laughs> it didn't. Checking in from Fairbanks, our yeah, expert man. in outerwear. Yeah. Miss mm. Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, she's not wearing a hat. Nobody wears hats. Nobody Although, wears did hats. you guys see this? So, I think one of our listeners pointed us to yes. this that Kit Harrington did an interview and he basically said, Yes, I would like to be wearing a hat myself because it's really cold on these locations. But apparently they're concerned that if all the actors were wearing hats, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. Yeah, I guess it's a it's an okay reason. I wish that they all just had really weird hats. You know, like Jon Snow <laughs> could have like a big dire wolf hat. And yeah. Tormund could just have a big crazy red ginger fur hat. And, you know, like you could really, you could show their personalities through the hats. I'm going to say this, and maybe the last time I ever say this, in the books they do. See? All the knights have elaborate helms with, like, the Hound, for example. There's a, it's actually a plot point, because at some point somebody steals it and pretends to be the Hound. Mm. He's known for this big helm, to use George R. R. Martin's favorite word, in the shape of a dog, in the shape of a hound. Which is how you know he's riding around the battlefield because he's wearing this big helm. Exactly, um, and then you could have Daenerys in a crazy dragon hat that's very much like the hat that Neville Longbottom's grandmother would wear with the vulture on it. I'm shaking my head in disgust at the hats. Yeah, you don't want hats because I just think that the thing that this show needs the least is silly hats. Is more hats? <laughs> Probably. You know, I was thinking while watching this episode and while reflecting upon it that the whimsy is gone. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> to put it Now that we have a dragon zombie, the whimsy is gone. So maybe maybe that we could find that in the hats, Trisha. I know. Although I'm 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 actually glad to say goodbye to some of that whimsy in that specific way. Yeah. Did they you help me out here cuz you guys I think are more sensitive to these issues than I am. Uh-oh. Was was Daenerys's sort of cool winter battle outfit that she's been wearing for the last couple of episodes as she's flying around her dragons and setting fire to armies and being a badass queen? Was that replaced with a similar outfit, but in a more wintry color scheme? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So she gets the, the raven, which we're all going to put aside how unlikely this is, but she gets the raven. Oh, my God. Even as we speak, these people are under siege north of the wall, far north of the wall, thousands of miles from where I am. And I am going to leap upon my dragon and fly my dragons to their aid. There's not a moment to be lost, because even as we speak, they're standing on a rock about to die. But first, seamstresses, get me a winter outfit <laughs> well, that will fit in with the color scheme. But it's also not a decent... Win- like, think about it. She grew up in the South, right? Like, she's never right. been any... She's pro- likely never seen snow. And she you're going to give her that actually, skimpy-ass little fuzzy white jacket and call it yeah. a day? Not even the South, but the mysterious and exotic East. Right, Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Yes, I appreciate that correction. I think it looked awesome, and it's clearly warm enough in a world where people don't need hats and have dragons. (laughs) I think it's fine. I think it looked really cool. Presumably a dragon has some Uh, radiant heat, right? Yeah, that too. I know, but if you're flying that high up, it's way colder up there too, man. That's true. I also thought about that because if, if you've, I mean, it's, you know, I occasionally ride motorcycles and just riding a motorcycle on the ground in the cold freezes your, your butt off. It's like, oh my God. So flying around there in a dragon exactly. in the cold air. Yeah. Anyway, 
<laughs> is this really what we're going to? No, it's not. I feel this, this is episode. displaced angst. Yeah, so let's talk about something that you already mentioned, which is why didn't anybody other than Thoros, who died lamely, die? You must have been expecting someone to go. I did. You know, Peter, that's a really great question because I thought there was a lot of tension building up, too, towards the beginning of, like, Jorah giving the sword back. I was like, okay, Jorah's going to die. You know, like, that seems like a really nice little noble, like, no, I'm not actually part of this story sort of a situation. And then he's still with us. And just a reminder for those who've forgotten or maybe never remembered, uh, Jorah is in trouble forever because he was selling slaves. Just in case anyone was wondering, right. wait, what did Jorah do that was so mm. terrible again? That's a good friendly reminder, Trisha. <laughs> and he sold slaves because he needed money to impress his hot young wife. Yeah, that's just the in part. Case anybody really cares. Uh, that's the part that when I was just double checking and I Googled it and it was like, because of his wife's lavish lifestyle, he uh, was selling slaves. And I just want to play a patriarchy jingle on that. <laughs> that. He's Rhaegar in the streets and Paris in the sheets. He's Peter Sagal. Jorah Mormont. Mormont. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, I had to sell slaves. My hot, dumb wife is always wanting new jewelry. Like, come on, guys. To to be fair to Jorah, and it just so happens I reread the section in the book where he explains all this to Danny. It's in book two. He, He knows exactly how stupid, manipulated, and complicit, I don't think he uses that word, but he knows it, how complicit he was in his own downfall. He's not blaming it on anybody but himself. So. Right, but the men of the internet who write the stuff about Game of Thrones, oh, okay, that's how they that. frame it. <laughs> They're not as enlightened as Jory is on his own flaws. I'll uh-huh. grant you that. Um, I thought Tormund was going to die. I was and really I thought, glad Tormund didn't die, though. I, I was really so mad that he Tormund, didn't because really. he had his, like, charming, I'm thinking about my future children thing, which is narrative foreshadowing for kill him. And yes. then he gets dragged in by the whites, so many whites, and somehow gets saved by the hound at the last second. Yeah. Tormund should have died. He 100% should have died in that episode. Ow. I'm so with Trisha here. And not only that, but... It, it, a, a beloved character who, as Trisha points out, seems to have an interesting future that you'd like to see play out, dying in a horrible way when you least expect it, that's the Game of Thrones way. And not only is that the Game of Thrones way, but that's why the deaths in the show, when they've come, have had such power. From, uh, you know, uh, Ned Stark in the first season to... Uh, to what's his name? I, I, Oberyn Martell. Barristan I mean, Selmy. Peop- exactly. These are people. Remember me saying, "Oh, Barristan Selmy can't die. He's great. I love him." <laughs> so he died. <laughs> and that's and and one of the things that the show has been so good at is by making these deaths have weight because you don't want them to happen, and they seem so tragic and awful. So yeah, if Tormund's giant Spain, who we love who we want to see that flirtation with Brienne come, who gets all the best lines, if he had been dragged under by those whites dying in terror, that would have been one of the more memorable Game of Thrones moments. It would have been up there with the deaths I mentioned, even Hodor, which may be the most affecting death of all. Mm. And it would have shown that these guys, you know, they're, they're not playing around, or rather they have been playing around with these stupid schemes to go steal a white, at, at, but they're playing with, if you excuse the expression, fire. And... It was a mistake, but no. Everybody lives except for old lame ass Thoros of Mir. Yeah, it is pretty crazy to think that we made it through the penultimate episode, and Thor, like the least interesting of those characters, right. was the one to die, and that was it. I think I, I think I even said, you know, in either the preview episode or the recap of the first episode, I said, "Well, someone's going to die. Come on, guys, we all we have to have a major right. character die. die. This is Game of Thrones." Yeah, yeah and apparently, so far. I mean, maybe they got something up their sleeve. Did you guys think for a second before the final, um, the final uh, Deus Ex Machina appearance <laughs> that uh, Jon Snow was going to buy it at long last? I, I was even thinking, oh, wow, maybe that's what they're doing. No. That would be an amazing turn, wouldn't it? When he fell in the water, it was just like, are you going to give us more suspenseful potential water death shit, guys? Because that felt pretty weak sauce after questions around Jamie recently too you know it was like nah he's gonna survive this I was hoping it would be a repeat for when he gets captured by the wildlings and then kind of ends up being a wildling sympathizer which is that he was maybe gonna get captured by (laughs) the white walkers and then see things from their point of view listen if the white walkers 
if the White Walkers don't have goals and dialogue in the next season, I think I'm done. Yeah, I think I'm done. It's the lamest foe. It's a super lame opponent. You, you, Trisha, you are in my mind that person in the movie The War of the Worlds, the 50s version, who, who goes up to the, to the alien tripod after it's emerged and says, we've come in peace, we want to talk. And that, that's, you were just in that moment constantly toward the White Walkers. Well, then why don't the White Walkers, the Night King specifically, why don't they kill Jon Snow? They've had chances now very directly at least twice they watched him at hard home, realized he had Valyrian steel, and they didn't go after him then. And then they let him go. I mean, they pulled the dragon out of the water, but not Jon Snow. Well, they came running back at him, though. Yeah, they were. It seemed like they were trying to kill him, and you know, and then he escaped from the water somehow, and he had that moment alone in the field that he always tends to get. Our Jon Snow, like at the Battle of the Bastards, where he just looks at the amazing array of enemies representing certain death you know, raining down upon him and he gets to pull out his sword and go, okay, guys, let's do this. And then, much as in the Battle of Bastards, he's suddenly rescued by people on horses, or in this case, a white on a horse. So how disappointed were you guys about Benjen just, like, magically? That, to me, felt like the cheapest story device in this episode, I thought. Benjen. And, and, and there were a lot of them, and that was, in fact, the cheapest. And you, and you knew that what happened was, as they said, we want John to sacrifice himself because, among other things, that will make Danny like him more. That seemed to be very effective in terms of <laughs> manipulating Danny's emotions. But we got to save John. We can't kill John. Hey, guys, who's got the best idea? I, want, I, want, I just keep imagining the writer's room. I want your best ideas for how we can save John by 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Go to work. And somebody said, well, how about Benjen? Benjen Stark's out there. All right, great. Benjen rides in, saves him, and then dies. Let's do it. And, and the notion that Benjen would just, who is a character we haven't seen for, am I right, a season, uh, who we didn't know much about, would just run in and instantly sacrifice himself to accomplish this plot point of saving John seemed, as you say, pretty cheap. Yeah, it was fun to ask Justin about it because Justin hasn't seen any much of the other episodes beyond this season. And so he was just like, who's that guy? Because <laughs> he is, yeah. he, I mean, you know, of all the characters in Thrones, he is one of the more random. And the way he showed up yeah. was so random, too. It was just kind of like, really? Yeah, I mean, Cold Hands is very important in the books and spends a lot more time with characters, Bran in particular. And so it makes more sense. But yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I apologize to the listeners for being so crabby about this episode because I know it really bums some people out who like had fun watching it to hear us really hate on it. But I was really struggling last night to come up with how I was going to come in here this morning and not just be super disappointed. Welcome to my world, Trisha Bilbita. I know. Wow. So you, I liked it the most. Greta liked it the most. Yeah. Yeah. Greta's only complaints are about outerwear. Well, just the North in general. There are just some inaccuracies around Beyond the Wall that I feel like could have been addressed. If Trisha and I were able to redo this episode, it would be entirely different. If you, Greta, had been able to redo the episode, it would have been excellent, except with the addition of Gore-Tex. <laughs> yeah, That's Gore-Tex. it. Only change. Just some, just some down, you know? Just some goose feathers, man. Yeah. <laughs> some insulation. Layers. Layers, Yeah, exactly. People. Exactly. I think we have some fun voicemails that involve the very last moments of the episode, that zombie dragon situation. So let's just get right to some of those in a minute. I've been in this business my entire fucking life. My entire fucking life. I started this company at age 14 years old of age. So, Peter, before we get to listening to voicemails, you mentioned a phrase that I think is really important that actually did come up in a lot of voicemails, which is deus ex machina. I think a lot of people are familiar with that phrase, but for people who don't know what that means when it comes to a storytelling device, can you please explain it it to us? I I shall. Well, it'll be my pleasure, ladies. You see, those of us who studied drama at prestigious (laughs) institutions, no, I know, Uh, basically (laughs) the deus ex machina. (laughs) Peter Sagelman explains this show to you. So I, that, I set that one up, though. You did. You did. It's not fair. You, you entrapped me. Yeah, into I really did. I really um, did. Basically, a deus ex machina, the, 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 which means in Latin, God in a machine, refers to a, uh, a dramatic device that was popular. I, I think Roman drama than Greek drama, uh, in which the characters would get into a terrible situation. 
that couldn't be resolved uh, through character action or logic. And so what would happen is is that uh, a chariot would be lowered from the wings with, say, Apollo in it. And he would say, "All I am Apollo, the god of whatever, and I shall decree that all is well. Uh, so a deus ex machina is any character or any device that shows up at the end and solves the character's problems without them having to do anything or really them earning it. Um, sometimes it, you know, and, and you see it in, in some, some of Shakespeare's comedies, uh, like when the Duke shows up at the end in some of those st- stories and sets all the right. That's vaguely a deus ex machina. Or when the messenger comes in at, in a classic drama and says, oh, I've brought the information that it turns out that the, the hero was right all along. That's a deus ex machina. And really, you could but, argue that there were several in this episode. I mean, I think you could make oh, the yes. argument that Benjen is one of them as well. Um, but right. just to be clear, it actually means God from the machine, not God in the machine. Just to, oh. you know, the Latin nerd in me felt like we needed to correct that. Oh, well, there you it's go. all good. All right. So we're, 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 you're correcting on Latin on Latin usage and outerwear. That's, that's yep, where you yep, are. That's, that's me. That's, that's why I'm here, guys. And Harry Potter, you know. Okay. We got that Neville Longbottom's grandmother reference in there. Uh, let's take a listen to a voicemail. Hi, all. Uh, this is Peter in Edwardsville, Illinois, in my car on the way to the totality. Been thinking about... Um, <laughs> this dragon and what it's going to do. Uh, you know, zombie bears act like zombie bear, act like real bears. Zombie horses act like real horses. So I think zombie dragons are going to act like real dragons. And this dragon is going to melt the wall. And I think it's going to happen on Sunday. Thanks for your podcast. Love you guys. Bye. So we got a lot of questions about this. Someone even used the phrase breath weapon, which, like, is that a real phrase people use, or did that person just invent it as the... I'm, I've never heard it before, except insofar as various unpleasant conversations over breakfast <laughs> I've had in the past. But, but yeah, the question being, is the zombie dragon going to breathe ice or fire? That's a good question. Uh, it's a, you know, who knows? I mean, fire being bad for whites... As, as a larger point, I, I said way when we started this conversation today uh, that I had a lot of minor complaints and one major prop, and the major prop is to the showrunners for the zombie dragon, uh, because all this time, for two seasons now, we've been talking about why in the world doesn't this show end tomorrow, i.e. Danny flies her dragons, burns all the whites, takes over the Seven Kingdoms, it's over, and you needed an obstacle. And I, it occurred to me, I had not read the internet theories predicting the zombie dragon, so it was a surprise to me, but when, as soon as that dragon died and went into the water, I was like, oh boy, are they going to resurrect it? Oh my god, they did, they resurrected it, and I was like, oh boy, now the good guys have problems, and I was actually delighted by that. Did you like it, Trisha? Did you at first? Did you know? Did you like read the theories about this on the interwebs? Well, so I, yeah, I had heard the theories, and also George R. R. Martin wrote a children's novella that was published in 1980 called The Ice Dragon. <laughs> that's about a little girl who fights the bad dragons. In that scenario, are the fire breathing dragons, and she has an ice dragon, hmm. and the ice dragon Ooh. is the good guy dragon. Oh. So, and George R. R. Martin has tried to make it clear time and time again that these actually aren't all from the same storyline, that the ice dragon doesn't live in Westeros or anything like that. But there's also all the theories about, is there actually a dragon frozen inside the wall? Is there one underneath Winterfell? There's all these hints in the books, in stories that Nan tells and stories that maesters tell and things like that about dragons in the north maybe being hidden underground or this or that. And so I was expecting there to be some sort of uh, change of dragon, but I think change of dragon loyalty or or allegiance. But I guess now what we know, too, is that the Night King is the guy to kill. I mean, I think we all sort of assumed that. But I think that was the other important plot point that we learned is that the... It, it would be called siring, I think, in vampire oh, stories. Yeah, well, yeah. That whatever creatures they've turned are all sort of uh, connected to them in a very dramatic way. So not only could you kill basically most of the whites and all of the other white walkers if you kill the Night King, who was the first white walker, but you would also kill the ice dragon if the siring right. is the way it works. So really now there's one guy they got to kill. And it's a different fight. Right. And that means that it's in the end it's going to... And in fact, didn't, uh, didn't Beric Dondarrion point at him and say, maybe that's what we got to do is kill yeah. that guy? Yeah, yeah. Yep. and he was just yeah. chilling over there on the other side of the valley, mm-hmm. yeah. just sitting on his and, horse looking cool. And what that gives you in, in story terms is it gives you the, 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 the sort of quest singularity 
you know, like yeah. call it whatever you want. Like the, the, probably the best example is uh, all we need to do is this one thing: get the ring into the you know the the crack of doom. Do that, and we win. Right. Just the one thing, and so it, it, it'll all boil down to the one thing, as opposed to a multi-front war that in real life you might actually have to win. I mean, it, it's as if the Allies could have could have won World War II completely just by killing Hitler, as opposed to having to fight this incredibly difficult multi-year war involving millions of combatants across thousands of miles of battlefronts. Um, and so, but st- in terms of storytelling, it's much simpler. So it, maybe it points to the climax of this show, which is not going to be ultimately the big battle that we've all been anticipating, but just a one last suicide mission led by our team of, you know, Majora and uh, Tormund and all these guys who have to go back north of the wall, find the Night's King, and kill him. I bet they're not going to have to go north. I bet the Night King is going to come south. He's certainly on his way. Right. So is the magic that keeps things on one side of the wall, if it can be flown over via dragon, is it actually Danny's fault that the Night King can now come south? Well, maybe. Although, I had this thought, and as far as I know from reading just a very few recaps, it is, at least insofar as I know, original to me. So here we go. (laughs) Was this whole dumbass expedition that John so blithely came up with and went on was it in the end entirely intended to manipulate Danny into doing what she did i.e. fly north with dragons and see for herself because it ended up with uh, depending on how you feel that, uh, that John is feeling romantically about Danny it ended up with either one or two, th- one or two things that uh, Jon Snow wanted happening. I.e., Danny's like, "Oh my God, I saw them. Now I understand. I will fight them with you and for you. And I'm going to hold your hand and look at you tenderly while I say that." So, is it possible that even though, even while he was lying on that uh, bed, uh, declaring his allegiance to Danny, you know, secretly he was going? Would, would he, did he turn to the camera and make a little fist pump and go, "Yes"? <laughs> a Lucille Bluth winky face. Exactly. Because if you think about it, uh, as, I mean, if, if, if that was his plan all along, then it justifies all the dumb things we've been criticizing for the last two episodes. I think it was the writer's plan all along. Yeah. I think ah. that Jon Snow is very dumb. Like, <laughs> in the Battle he's of the Bastards. and short. In the Battle of the Bastards, he's very dumb. He's actually, you know, not shown prowess in military thinking now that we think about it right like somebody else always has to come in and save him at the last minute um but yeah so i I think that's what the writers were doing is they were like how do we get danny to go north of the wall well all her favorite dudes need to go on a dumb expedition north of the wall and then she has to like helipad save them with her dragon but here's a here's another voicemail from brenton who has i think a very fair question hey this is brenton from seattle washington uh my question is about the 19th Spear throwing strategy. Why would you aim for a dragon that is flying around instead of the one that is sitting in front of you, not moving and rescuing people? Uh, do the White Walkers really have agency? Is this guy really just showing off? Uh, yeah, love to hear an answer to that. Uh, love the show, guys. Uh, yeah. Of course, I'm just trying to get another person in the room <laughs> who thinks the White Walkers have goals. But I do think it's interesting that. What we have seemingly is the Night King doing something strategic in this. Like, so he doesn't. Like, they could have thrown those spears that they had, or any spears that they had, at the guys and probably killed them. They were clearly waiting for Danny and her dragon to show up, and then they get their dragon out of this situation. But they didn't want to kill Danny or Jon Snow, is what it seems like. Either that, or they, they. I mean, otherwise, again, when we have a, an evil that we don't get to see anything from their point of view. I'm just yeah. going to lay a lot of my thoughts into that person's consciousness because otherwise it's really boring to just have like evil zombies with a one note thing. I think it might just be really boring, Trisha. Well, then I'm sad. Okay. <laughs> when, would you explain to me then, Trisha, since you can understand them so intimately, yes. <laughs> why in the world after throwing the first ice spear and killing the first dragon quite effectively and spectacularly, yeah. he then waits a good five minutes 
before one of his, you know, White Walker friends hands him another spear, and then he walks slowly forward. <laughs> like, oh, you can't throw the dragon-killing spear from back here, you see. Yes. you got to walk forward slowly and ponderously for a right. good 30 seconds before you can throw it. That's the rules. <laughs> you know? It's like, no, throw yeah. the de- If you're the one, you want them dead, throw it. Then you have yeah. two they dragon must, ones. They must not want Danny dead. They must not want Joe, Joe, John dead. <laughs> they, they must not want them dead or they aren't good at fighting and either of those options. Like one of those options is narratively interesting to me, like that they have a right. bigger plan. And that they're, you know, want, they want their own dragon, so that's what that whole thing was about. The thing that's narratively completely uninteresting to me is if they just are not capable of throwing a spear at a seated dragon. I think the reason why the Night King had to walk ponderously forward holding his spear before he could throw it is the same reason why the waif chased Arya a couple seasons ago by walking slowly as, like, a la the Terminator through the streets of Bravos, Because she just does. Mm. Yeah, it's just more cooler and dramatically interesting if like oh my god the Night King is now reaching for his other spear and walking slowly get out Danny leave leave well I'll sacrifice myself that none of which would have been possible if the Night King had simply said here give me another one of those spears that worked well the first time here let me try this again <laughs> he also just doesn't move that quickly though at least we haven't seen him move that quickly yet yeah, he he does he does it does seem to be a general rule of fantasy villains that they can only move very slowly. They're in no rush. Exactly. That's the thing. He's in evil. no rush. The whites run. <laughs> yeah, which is terrifying. But he doesn't and run. Like that bear, that bear had speed. All right. If we're that's true. If we're now as much of the internet has described, if we're now in a magic versus magic full on fantasy universe. Yes. Honor the days where it's about, you know, plotting and wine drinking and humans, uh, you know, sort of right. squabbling. Yeah, where is Euron Greyjoy? <laughs> it's magic versus magic. So the couple of questions that I keep getting asked are, is Euron going to now use the dragon horn to do something to the ice dragon? And I think mm. book readers just need to let the dragon horn go. I don't think there's <laughs> right. ever going to be a dragon horn. Okay. It but would be a little late to introduce that. I will agree. It's time, if we're just in magic versus magic mode, it's time for Bran to step up and be awesome and start doing something. That's what I yes. want next week. Yeah. I mean, he is, if, if as you say, if this is just going to be you know sorcerer versus sorcerer, then you know the good guys have to deploy their sorceress weapon. Peter, what's your yes. one big wish for next week's episode? I, I, I'll say this again. I wish people die. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that because I think they're annoying, but I think that that, if, if, as I have had occasion to do this last season, of really think about why I have enjoyed this show so much in the past. And I really have people. I really love this TV show. <laughs> it has become, it's among many other things, the way it treats death, which is that death is not inconvenient. It is not... Um, an outcome for a character. It is a tragic and horrific thing that these fictional characters live under the threat of, under which, under which threat these fictional characters live. I don't want Greta to correct my English grammar. <laughs> um, and that has given all the actions and all the drama and all the storytelling in the show such incredible weight because they can die and death is final and death is real, or at least it used to be, um, before the, you know, the resurrecting God got involved. And it bothers me that this show is treating its characters in the same way, like, say, uh, to use, to, to take a delightful internet meme that went around, the A-Team yeah. treated its characters, mm-hmm. you know. No way was the A-Team ever going to kill off Mr. T halfway through a season, because everybody loved Mr. T. And I'm afraid that the show has really sort of reverted to that kind of storytelling. Beloved characters, we know you love them. We're not going to kill them. Don't worry. No matter what trouble they get into, even if zombie whites are dragging them into the frozen water, they're going to be fine. And I don't want it to be that TV show. And one way it will show me that it's not that kind of bad, typical TV show is if they have the courage to kill somebody off in a way that's tragic and meaningful. So my desire is probably more typical TV show, but for the last episode, I would like Jon Snow to learn about his parentage because I feel like that would throw a really fun wrench into his and Danny's yes. union that would be kind of fun and interesting, a nice setup for the next season. We shall see. We do, everyone, want you to join this conversation. Ask us a question, suggest something for us to talk about. You can do that by leaving a voicemail. That toll-free number is 855-923-9993. 
You can find us online at wbez.org slash thrones. We are at Nerdette Podcast on Twitter. Peter Seigel is at Peter Seigel. I am at Greta M. Johnson. And Trisha is at Trisha Bobita. And you can also use the hashtag GOT Nerdcaps. Thanks to Vanessa Fay, who said we make her Mondays happier in her review on Apple Podcasts, which is very nice. It is nice. And, uh, you know, hopefully we weren't too curmudgeonly and we still made your Monday happier. You know who makes my Monday happier? Hmm. Is our producer, Justin Bull. Oh, yeah. I like that guy. (laughs) Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Fill out our survey. It's on the internet. We're linking to it. Tell us what you think about all the things. And I I look forward, by the way, to being back in the room with you ladies so I can tell you apart again. Thanks, Peter. (laughs) Thanks, Peter. Enjoy Dragonstone. I've been betrayed by my account executives, by my partners, my fucking business partners. I can take their sunny and their share bullshit in the fucking fuck the clan. I hate ketchup. I hate it. I think it's such bullshit to betray someone who's loved you for so stupid assholes. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.